What's the most important resource that you have? If you really thought about this deeply, I think you'd come to the same conclusion that Joey and I did. It's time. In our newest book, Wealth Without Wall Street, The Three Steps to Financial Freedom Through Passive Income, we talk about how are we tracking that time? Well, what is the thing that we can do to get more of that time back? That's right. If you've ever been listening to our podcast and thought, man, it would be amazing if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. Joey, I, I believe there is a concept that most people have not been introduced to yet that they need to be, and it's called counterfeit financial freedom. Okay. Um, maybe you need to introduce me to this as well. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm going to ask you a question. What is financial freedom? Financial freedom is passive income that's greater than your monthly expenses. What does financial freedom allow you to do? It, spend your time where you want, with whom you want, and when you want. I think you said when two times there, but I get the point. You no, get to where, do whatever you where, want. Where, when, and who. That's that's Where, that's when, and who. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You probably shouldn't be doing who you want to. That's that's probably <laughs> not good for a married guy, but it, neither here nor there on that. I'm just thinking, though, that most people don't know what that is. They have adopted a counterfeit financial freedom, which is save money in my qualified retirement plans, like my 401k or my IRA. I work till I'm 65 or 70, which by the way, the other day at the gym, these two older guys who are retired, both were presidents of major publicly traded corporations. We're talking about, you know, how much fun they're having in retirement. And they looked at me and they're like, Russ, how old are you? And I'm like 45. They're like, yeah, you'll be where we are in about 20 or 30 years. And I'm like, uh, I didn't want to, I didn't have the, you know, the heart to tell them like, dude, I'm where you guys are. Like I've been, like I've been hardly working for a long time. I mean, you guys have no idea. Right. But they, they live that corporate dream. We're very successful in their corporate jobs, but they, they believe in the counterfeit financial freedom, which was I needed to work a job, save money, wait till I'm 65 or 70 and then enjoy it. That is counterfeit. If you ever do any research, you can watch shows, you can um, look into the Secret Service. The way that they understand what the real dollar looks like, Joey, instead of a counterfeit, is they spend all their time focus on the real dollar. They know what the real thing is. That's right. Nobody outside of this audience, I believe, on a regular basis is studying what real financial freedom looks like. And it's instead have been accepting a form of counterfeit financial freedom. Well, even as our guests today, um, Niti and Pollock shared, they had just accepted what was given to them. It was the default messaging that has been a part of the last, I don't know how many decades, but it is the program that we've all been given. And we can either accept it by just kind of nonchalantly going along with it, or we can challenge it and, like you said, study the true form of financial freedom. I believe once you actually experience it, you'll never go a counterfeit way. And that's what our guests talk about today. They, they came to a crossroads and they said, wait a minute, I either have to choose between my family 
or this corporate job? Is this what I've been working this hard for, for this long? They were like, wait a minute, I'm not just accepting this narrative any longer. Right. Well, and when you know that there is a way out and you see it and you go, oh, it takes a little work, right? There's nothing that you've ever worked to accomplish that didn't require sacrifice. But when you apply, you take that knowledge, you apply it, man, isn't it cool to see how people like Nene and Pollock have been able to get out of the rat race, how they've been able to create a business where they work three to five hours a week, living the life that they want to live, enjoying time with their kids, but still crushing business and success at the highest level. I think you're going to enjoy this interview that we do with them. Let's take no more time away from it. Let's jump in right now with Needy and Pollock. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Wealth Without Wall Street Tribe, it is my pleasure to introduce you to the Burr professionals that you've never met, Niti Jamdar and Palak Shah. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joey and Russ, for having us. Thank you. Excited to be here. I, I didn't know if it was his internet stalling as he went to, as he went to try to figure out how he was going to add to the Burr experts, right? Like we haven't had anybody. And so I think he was trying to think like how many R's are at the end of this? <laughs> it does confuse people. <laughs> hey, for, for those who don't know what Burr is, as, as we before we get into your backstory, I would love not to lose people from the very beginning. Would you, uh, Pollock, would you mind jumping in there and just sharing really quickly, what is Burr? What does all that mean? So BUR is an acronym. It stands for Buy, Rehab, Rent, Refinance, and Repeat. This is a strategy that recently got this acronym, but it has been executed for decades. You buy a distressed property, renovate it, and you force it to appreciate, rent it out. It's called stabilizing, and then refinance it to pull out all of your original cash and take that cash and move it to the next deal while keeping the original asset. I love it. And what is it that made you guys so interested in this that you wanted to become experts? Go ahead. Should I go ahead? All right. So, <laughs> so uh, we were um, corporate professionals. We were both climbing the corporate ladder. I was an engineer. Um, I worked in corporate for 17 years and had a it was great. I, you know, I worked with CEOs of various companies, traveled all over the world and taught them how to improve their bottom line. And Nidhi was on a fast track uh, with his career as well. He was finance in finance and, and we had kids and it seemed like the life we thought that was amazing was no longer working for us. And we had to figure out something else. And we both had different moments when, you know, we had this moment of clarity and we were like, we need to do something else. 
Um, and we jumped into real estate investing, except real estate investing is very difficult because you have to keep coming up with the seed money every time you want to buy a property. And the Burr strategy allowed us to take a finite amount of capital and turn it into a large portfolio without having to come up with that seed money again and again. Let me, let me ask you this. I'm going to ask Niti to jump in here. So Niti, when she said we had kids and all of a sudden something had to change, like what was it about the corporate grind and what you were doing that you had this moment of clarity? What was it for you? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, ever since we were sort of kids, we were taught to sort of follow this path, right? Get a good degree, like get a nice high paying job, and then everything will just take care of itself, right? Financially and, and everything. And we were, by the time we had kids, we were in our mid thirties and we had done everything by the book. You know, we went to a good university, we got good, good high paying jobs, get promoted every now and then. And we thought we were like doing really well by traditional standards. But then when we had our, you know, first kid, um, uh, who's Alicia, and then we had um, a son after in a couple of years, and we had two small kids, right, in a very short period of time. And uh, I was told from work, when our son was born, that I had like a week and a half of paternity leave. And I was like, wait, that can't be right. Like I worked for this company like 12 years, and I need like a little bit more time to be able to spend with my newborn son who's in the hospital and i was like denied that and you know there was a lot of pressure to like come back because there are some projects going on i was like this is not what i worked so hard for <laughs> and so that was like a big turning point for me i said okay i'm not gonna let anybody else dictate uh how i spend my time especially with my family and that was like a, a turning point for me yeah it, that's so interesting right is that we 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 accept what the PTO is, or we accept what the maternity or paternity leave is because that's just what everyone does. But yet you decided, no, that's not for me. And you said that initially you started looking into just real estate, but you were struggling because it required lots of capital to keep going. How did you find this Burr method? Yeah. So for, we actually bought a couple of rentals. So we both love real estate, first of all, right? So we love HDTV and we used to watch all these shows and we're like, oh, let's buy a rental. And for a long time, uh, we used to like spend all this money that we used to get either from bonuses at work or taxes at the, at the year end. We used to go like buy furniture, like, wait, we got to stop doing that first. So we bought and went and bought uh, an investment property uh, with like 25% down, right? And we spent what, like, I think it was like 50,000 or so to buy that first property. And then we had to spend another 10 or $15,000 to fix some things that, you know, when you buy a house, there's always some things you need to fix. So we spent about 60 to 65,000 in that property. Now that's still a very good investment. We were getting like 8% returns, right? Uh, and we're like, wait, this is actually good. We can get like three, $400 in cash flow each month. And that's if we buy a few more houses, we could replicate this pretty quickly. But the challenge was, how are we going to come up with 60 to 65,000 every time we had to buy a property? And so we said, wait, there has to be a faster way. And we stumbled upon the Burr strategy, also known as a value-add investing strategy, where you could literally 
come up with very little of your own money, but through the right leverage, right, working with the right lenders, you could work with as little as ten to fifteen thousand dollars of bringing your own cash upfront, and then even that you pull out by the end of the deal, which usually takes about six months. So we were essentially recycling that entire cash. We're like, wait, this is a strategy we need to really replicate and learn, um, and and master it. Okay, wait, wait, tribe. I, I want to just make sure you didn't miss that. Niti and Pollock just shared with you the way to supercharge your portfolio in rental real estate. They said instead of taking sixty five thousand dollars per deal bringing 10 to $15,000 of your own cash to a deal and then getting that back even within six months. How many more properties could you buy if that were the case, right? How much faster would your path to financial freedom look if that were possible? That, that's what we need to tune in here. Like this is, this is super important. That's why we felt like we had to bring Niti and Pollock to you today. Um, Pollock, share with us, like, how did you put all this together? Was it was it a course that you took? Was it a book that you read? Was it a com- combination? Like, tell us how that all came together. So we we did we did something a little bit different than I think a lot of people do when it comes to real estate investing. So we understood the fundamentals of this strategy because it's this is a a strategy that's been applied for decades. However, the way it had always been executed was very different than how we wanted to approach real estate investing. We weren't coming into real estate investing for just money because we had really great incomes. We were coming into real estate investing for time. And so we were always really lifestyle focused and really focused on how to do this in a way that takes up very little time from our end. So we took a lot of business coaching and we implemented a lot of strategies from, you know, from the business side and from our corporate background. So our backgrounds are in systems processes. Um, Niti was in strategy. And so combining those two, we kind of, wanted to build this business um, like a corporate would. Like we really wanted to do it differently. We wanted to execute it in a way that takes up very little time. So that's kind of how we developed uh, the execution of the strategy. Does that, does that make sense? It does. And when you're coming from a, a corporate business background, it makes sense that you would do that, right? I see too often times that people run businesses more like hobbies because they don't have plans in place to help them execute. And ultimately what Joey and I, we, we go through, and I'm sure you've probably read Robert Kiyosaki's Cashflow Quadrant book. And we talk about the cash flow Quadrant. We say the E Quadrant, people work for money, right? And the S Quadrant, which is what most people move into in a place like this, well, rental real estate, Burr method, stuff like that. They move into this S Quadrant. And then we say, well, how do they make money? They work hard for money, right? Because they end up working so much because they don't have systems. So smart. What would you say is the the best type of person? I know that you've you've transitioned from doing this yourself. You guys started purchasing a pretty good amount of real estate every single year through this. Remind me exactly what that amount was. Yeah. So now we are at a point where we buy about two to three million dollars of real estate every year. And 
again, with very limited funds because you're always redeploying these funds and then, you know, using the same funds and recycling the same funds. And how did you get to the point where you just said, okay, we're at the point where we want to show other people what we're doing? Because you were obviously being successful in of the in of it itself, just doing it for yourself. Why start teaching other people? So that happened pretty organically, right? So I was the one who first quit my job um, because I had a newborn and a toddler and I really felt like I just wanted to be with the kids. I was the one who first quit my job. And so I used to go to networking events and I started connecting with people in the real estate industry and started scaling our portfolio, right? We were scaling our portfolio. And before we knew it, in just a couple of years, we had a few million dollars in real estate. And I would connect with people who had been in the real estate industry for years and decades, and they still wouldn't have gotten to that point. So people started asking like, what are you doing? That's so, how did you do it in two years? Like I've been trying to do this for 10 years, what's happening? And so it started organically when I was like, I, I need to teach people how we're doing this. We're looking at this very differently and that's why we're scaling so fast. So it started organically and then it spread just with word of mouth and um, it's grown from there. <laughs> This podcast is amazing, almost too amazing, Russ. There's too many ideas, and I don't know where to get started creating passive income. Well, here's the thing, Joey. I think one of the things you need to consider in that statement is what is it costing you to not know? What is it costing you not to take action? I love the statement that says you don't have to be great to start. You just have to start to be great. If you're struggling on where to start, you have to know what type of investor you are. Know your investor DNA. And if you want to learn more about this, you can join us in our Passport Challenge at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash Passport. Get started today. Well, let, let me back up just one second, because I don't think Russ talked to the person who has heard real estate investing on this show or other shows and thought, eh, it's not for me. Time is my biggest challenge. Like, it sounds good. HGDB, they see the, the picture, the videos, whatever, the shows, and they say, man, that looks amazing. I just don't have eight hours a day to go run a crew on site. I don't have time to go and find somebody to rent this property or, or to negotiate with these lenders who don't know me or trust me. Like, how do I build that up? Like, so talk about it. You've already solved the capital problem, right? You just went yes. from 65,000 to 10 or 15,000. But how, how does the time become more like attainable for somebody who is a busy professional that would love to have two or $3 million of properties every year added to their portfolio? Yeah, great question. I think one of the biggest challenges right now that we talk to like hundreds of investors and the biggest challenge that people have is real estate can be intimidating, right? It's one, it's if you were doing a rehab, you have to be on the job site, you have to manage a contractor, you have to, some people try to do it themselves. They're like, I'm going to DIY this because HGTV makes it sound so cool. And uh, it's, it's a lot harder if you try to do it that way. And when we first started, we were like, wait, we have to work with the end in mind. And we said, this is, we want to work. We don't want to sign up, sign ourselves up for another nine to five, right? We want to do it in a way where we still have the time freedom that we need. And so the way we built the business is saying, you have to master a few things if you want to scale fast. Number one, you have to master deal analysis, right? Really knowing what a good deal is. Number two, you have to master finance. 
uh, and we really, really talk fi about finance a lot, especially when we're teaching people because uh, real estate finance is its own world. There's so many different, it's almost like getting an MBA in finance. There's so much out there in terms of different lending options that we have. So truly understanding what the best lending options are. And number three, building and managing a team, right? Because that's what's going to truly allow you to reduce the number of hours that you work. If you have a team that you trust, if you have a contractor that, that you trust, if you have a lender that you have a relationship with, and then if you have systems and processes set up throughout, which allows us to work three to five hours a week now in not just maintaining the business that we have, but growing it. And when we buy a property, we don't even have to go look at the property. It's just that our team kind of does that and they tell us what we need to know and we, and we grow that way. And were you able to do that from the very beginning? So were you not going to the job sites and not trying to learn how all of this works from the very beginning you were doing that? In, in the beginning, I was spending a lot of time at the job sites looking at properties because not only were we trying to figure out how to execute it, we were also trying to understand the strategy. So it took a lot of effort to um, understand it and spending that time really helped. And then we figured out how to really outsource it well and how to understand this and what key metrics do we need to look at while sitting on our desks and you know how to outsource that well. Yeah, and it took us like a year to do our first deal, yeah. right? Because we didn't have a mentor, we didn't have anybody showing us the ropes. We had to figure this out for ourselves. And so now like people who learn from us, they're, they have a million dollar portfolio in a year because yeah. we're teaching them the right way. We're telling them to, it's, it, we, we love the book, The One Thing, because it taught us so much about like how, how to do business and how to think about outsourcing. And it's about the 20% that you need to focus on that's going to give you the 80% of the results. And that's what we teach people what the 20% is that you need to focus on, because that was the hardest part for us to figure out when we were learning it. So as someone's listening to you right now and they're going through this downturn in the stock market. We're seeing Wall Street just crash in front of us. And I, I believe that it's, it, you know, this is just the front edge of it, to be honest. I, I could be totally wrong. I'm not a psychic or a prophet or anything. But just looking at the fundamentals for so long, it looks like this is going to be a major downturn. Why is the Burr method so important right now? It's a great question. So right now with the stock market going on, we're already in a recession by, by most uh, standards, like second quarter in a row, negative GDP, uh, and it may get worse, right? And the reason we love real estate is that uh, we're in it, one, we're in it for the long run, right? We're not doing flips where the market would determine whether a deal is good or not. Even if the market goes down and the property values go, goes down, our entire portfolio doesn't matter to us because we're still cash flowing month in, month out. Our mortgage doesn't change. Our rents don't change, if anything, because of inflation, the rents are only going up. And so for us, what matters is uh, there's cash flow coming in and the recession may last a couple of years, three years. Eventually, the market is going to go back up. And that's why the burst strategy is so forgiving and buy and hold investing is so forgiving because regardless of the market cycle, you're going to make money in the long run. Let's talk about like some specific areas of the world where this works, where it doesn't work. Do you see any states that 
are better or worse for something like this to, as people are trying to, to place themselves in, in this future? Yeah, so there's so some states that are harder. So for instance, New York, um, California, those are gonna be harder states where the prices are really, really high. And so what we always tell people is invest in areas that are uh, sort of the next, uh, that are up and coming where you can buy properties for a lot cheaper, uh, but also where the cash flow works, right? And that's another reason why it, recession doesn't worry us too much because we buy properties at cash flow. Now, if you're buying a $500,000 house and if you rent it out, it may not cash flow. So it's very important to kind of know what that right price point is, where the property's cash flow and where uh, picking neighborhoods that are evolving and, and growing that people are moving into that over time appreciate. So there's some states that I would say you should definitely not invest in, but most states, the borrower strategy works. And it works really well in areas where, there, where there's like a really nice inventory of distressed properties and renovated properties. That works really well. When you find a neighborhood where you see a lot of properties that are distressed that are being sold, but at the same time, you see a lot of flips coming on the market. Those are neighborhoods where the strategy works really well. For somebody that's trying to learn that, like, and, and maybe do their own analysis, do you have any sort of resource or uh, recommended website or anything like that that would help people to say, okay, I'm interested. I'd like to figure out if this works in my area. Sure. I, I'm happy to share some, some tips there. I think number one thing we look for is as you're evaluating a neighborhood or a city, uh, number one thing is, is the population increasing or decreasing? So you can go to uh, citydata.com, for instance, and kind of see, all right, over the last 10 years, is the population going up? So you want to ride the wave of um, a market where people are moving in. Uh, number two, you want to make sure there is diversity of employers, right? So if you're investing in a city where there's only tourism and that's the biggest industry, if something like COVID happens, it's going to take a hit. So when we're evaluating a market, for example, Philadelphia, we invest in Philadelphia a lot. There's a diversity of um, industries. There's a lot of hospitals, a lot of universities, a lot of corporate headquarters. Um, and so in case of a downturn, we know there's going to be multiple, you know, employers. multiple employers there. Uh, and then once you've narrowed down based on that, then it's also about what you're comfortable with, right? Somebody's like, I'm lived in Florida all my life and I feel comfortable investing here and it's your backyard, then sure, you know, that that definitely helps as well. So those are some of the key criteria, but it, it can work literally anywhere. We have people uh, who live in California, New York, not, they're investing out of state. Half the people that work with us are investing out of state because that way you can go to where the best opportunities are. All right, Pollock, I want to ask you some how questions, okay? Because for all the tactical people listening who want to get into this, who have heard us just kind of talk kind of at, at a high level, but what are we really talking about? What is it that we're actually doing? So would you mind walking me through like a typical example of a property that you would look at? What would it, you know, typical price be? How would you purchase it? How much money would you put down? How much money would you put to rehab it? What would be the expectation to get it out? And what would be the rental income? Could you take me through an example like that? Sure, sure. So yeah, a template that works really well that we've done many times, and that's the first step I always ask our students to take, is um, think of it as three 
three S's. That's our like three S uh, philosophy, right? Find something that's small, simple, and scalable. So pick a three bed, one bath home, um, something where the rehab is simple, where you're not trying to buy a property where there's a wall missing or where there's fire damage or where there's mold issues. Find a property where you're going to renovate it, but there's no major uh, issues that can can uh, throw you in for something that you're just not prepared for. And More like a cosmetic kind of lipstick kind of like on the pig kind of thing. Kind of like a cosmetic rehab where you're putting in a new kitchen and a new bath, but you, you're not trying to build a house from scratch and scalable. So you want to pick a deal that you can do again and again. So whatever you learn from the first deal, you can implement on the next one and the next one and the next one. And you mentioned a resource. We have, a, if you go to openspaceswomen.com forward slash ebook, I detail out this 3S um, philosophy a lot in a lot more detail there. So that kind of a deal um, in terms of numbers, it would you would buy anywhere between um, 60 to 80K, put in about 40 to 60K in renovations. And then the after repair value, when you're done with it, it would be worth maybe 180, 180K, somewhere around there. So now um, when you take it to a bank, they're going to lend you about 75% of that 180K. You're going to get all the original money back. The rent, um, the way it works really well is if the rent is around 14, 1500, so that it still cash flows once you pull all your money out. Um, and then um, in terms of that's that's the beginning point. That's how you would get started. And then after that, you move over to smaller multifamilies and then move over to doing that, but on a larger scale with, you know, over a million dollar deals and things like that. So you can kind of scale that business. Great. So let me let me break that deal down a little bit more. So you, let's say you you bought it for 60, you put in an extra 40, so you're up to 100,000, but now it's worth 180. And you're able to take the 75% of that 180, which, you know, I can't do that math in my head very quickly, Russ, but whatever that number is, is more than the 100,000 that you put That's in. That's exactly right. For yeah. sure. And you're able to get that out within about six months? Yeah, that's right. Okay. And then you turn around and you can do that over and over and over again. Now, let's break it down first by what we led with, which was the capital requirements. To me, that sounds like I got to have $100,000. How does that change in your approach? So that is all about the lending, right? So what we what we do for our deals is... Uh, there's a short-term lender and then there's the the refi lenders. Right? So two different kinds of lenders that we work with. So on the short-term side, we say, okay, for the purchase price of 60K and the rehab of 40K, we don't want to come up with that entire 100K. Could we? Sure, but we don't want to do that, right? Because we can do a lot more deals if we leverage. So we'll go to a short-term lender and we'll be like, hey, uh, what can you give us? Uh, could you give us um, 90 to 100% of the money that we need to do this project? And the more experience you get, the better terms you get, right? So right now, we can basically for twelve thousand dollars, we'll need to bring to the table. The lender is going to finance the other eighty-eight thousand dollars, right? And then we do that project, we rehab it, and then when it's time to refinance, we go to a lender that is a long-term thirty-year mortgage, uh, which is a commercial loan, and then we just refinance and pull our cash out. 
So we're working with a couple of different lenders and you need to know which lender and what the best terms are. You need to compare to make sure you're getting the best rates and the best uh, deal. But that's uh, the, the lending piece becomes really important. That's so cool. All right. I want to, I know we're, we're running out of time here. So I want to ask some final questions just for those who, who want to take some action, but are, are skeptical, right? I mean, unfortunately we're, we're dealing with, well, man, I, I've heard of all the horror stories of people trying to get into the space and compete with everyone else who are professionals, right? Here I am. I'm going to start out as a brand new real estate investor. And now, man, I've got to compete with Nidhi and Pollock. Like they've been doing this. They've got this stuff down. How am I going to do that, right? How am I going to find that property that's 60000 that I can put forty in and sell it for one eighty? I mean, that just seems really hard. Is yeah. that the biggest obstacle that people are facing in their head? Or if not, what is the biggest obstacle your students are facing? I think the, the big one is really one, knowing the strategy and knowing how to do the analysis to your point to find a good deal, right? Because that a lot goes into the, to analyzing a deal and making sure it's the right fit. But there's also a lot of mindset mindset shifts that need to happen. A lot of fears that people have um, about, oh, what if the, the rehab goes wrong or what if the market goes wrong, you know, goes down. And so it's very important. So it's important to work on the mindset piece as well, because, if if you think everything is going to go wrong, it's you know then you you're kind of stuck in analysis paralysis and you're not never going to take action. So it's it's the it's knowing the strategy, but also working in your mind. You're basically building a business, and the first deal doesn't have to be the best deal in the world, right? Because the way the Burr strategy is. Uh, even if you do an okay deal, you're still doing way better than buying a rent-ready property and buying a rent-ready property is still good, right? So so what I say is the first deal doesn't have to be the best deal in the world, but it'll gonna, it's going to teach you a lot. And then you just build on that and, and you grow and you learn. And can I add something about competing with other investors? We always tell people, you know, that this is a thought that comes to everybody's mind. Like, hey, we're, you're investing in Philadelphia. I want to invest in Philadelphia. Doesn't that mean we're going to compete against each other? And real estate is something where you, you cannot approach it with that scarcity mindset. You really have to know that this is actually a win-win for everyone. If all of us are investing in the same market, guess what's going to happen? The property values are going to go up for all of us, right? And money or wealth or properties or any resources i feel like when we approach it with that abundant mindset where there's enough for all of us just like the air that we breathe that it's it just comes to us right and sorry to sound a little woo woo over there <laughs> but it's true and we had to make those shifts and as you know as salaried employees we're we're not given that mindset Oh, I love that. Yeah. And, it, you know, Tribe, as you're hearing Niti and Pollock, one thing that they mentioned when they first started out this, they didn't have a mentor. They didn't have a guide. They had to figure these things out and it delayed their first purchase for a year. Now, when you join up with people who are already successful, that mindset can actually be borrowed, right, from a mentor and from a guide. And I'm grateful that that we could introduce uh, Niti and Pollock to you today because they have a program that you can then join up with them and borrow again this mindset, this network, the the lending opportunities. Like by the way, Russ, I feel like we have missed a ridiculous opportunity here. Oh yeah, what's that? Yeah, we we just skimmed over the fact 
that they just took a hundred thousand dollar like maybe this is the mortgage nerd inside me and you're going to have to forgive me. Okay. Neeti and Pollock, you don't know I, I was in the mortgage business for 11 years. And, and so I nerd out on just thinking about leverage and the way these deals are put together. But you literally took a $100,000 transaction, got into it for 12000 But it, you guys probably still don't know this yet because we're going to go deeper on this in our, in our working together over time. But if we put IBC... We put infinite banking behind this space shuttle that you have just built. We're talking about leveraging $12,000 in a, in a deal that is still not your money. Mm. Mm. Infinite banking allows you to take that $12,000 and make it $600 in interest expense. Now you are the bank. Now you are the bank at a hundred percent leverage and if you have $100,000 in your own banking system, the way we've been laying out for you, you can now leverage that into almost 10 properties at one time. And you're talking about very little interest expense just to do that. This is exciting to me. Um, I, Russ, you put something up on the screen here. Uh, why don't you tell people what, what that is? Well, I, I don't need to tell him. I'm going to let our, our guests tell him, Joey. So, oh, okay. This is the way the show's supposed to work, guys. It's not Joey talking; it's you talking. Our audience is you. I got to point talking. stuff out from time to time. Come on, give me a break. It's so fun, but we we've had such a pleasure having you on the show and sharing this idea. We've been doing our podcast now for going on five years, and this is the first time that we've highlighted this specific strategy. So, so, so um, humbled that you came on and so excited to be able to share this. So if someone would like to find out more about you, how and where would you send them? Uh, yeah, so we have um, an Instagram uh, page where uh, we put in a lot of value add content. The best uh, place to reach us is the page. You can DM us. Um, it said open spaces women. We're not just for women, but that's how it started. So that's how it stayed. But it's open spaces women on Instagram. I love that. And I, I love that it is open spaces women and that needy. You're just cool with that. You're rolling. I'm good with that. I'm just I, along I, for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that that is so fun, and, and we we are so grateful to have both of you on the show, and we're really excited for the opportunity to share you within our two masterminds. If you have not taken advantage of the opportunity to join a mastermind, there is there is a chance you can go to wealthwallstreet.com forward slash free call and talk to one of our coaches about what is the right next thing. And as a part of that, either live or as a recording, you'll get a chance to probably hear Nidia and Pollock sharing this strategy in much more detail and be able to ask them personal questions as to how you could take action other than just reaching out to them. And you can do that as well. So Nidia Pollock, thank you so much for being on the show. We had a, uh, a fun time with you on here. Thank you so much for having us. Thank this you for having us. Awesome. As always, um, we thank you for listening. If you haven't already, please take time to rate and review the show. Um, share it with someone else. This is how we beat the big tech algorithm. This is how we help other people find out how to become financially free. Not the counterfeit way of following Wall Street, but the real way, the path to having more time with your family, just as they shared right here with us. Have an amazing day. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset. 
and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.